listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So in your Bibles or on your devices, you can go to Romans chapter 2 because We've closed up chapter 1 where Paul begins with his introduction of who he is. And that's going to be important. We have to remember who Paul is and what he was doing and what his life was like before Jesus showed up. And he said, my name is Paul. That's going to be important even today. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, an apostle that has been set aside or apart for the gospel. And he's writing to these churches that started predominantly as Jewish people. Then the Gentiles heard the gospel. They began to grow. But then the Jews were kicked out of Rome. So then they grew as underneath a predominantly Gentile leadership and people. The Jews returned. And so there's these different groups that are trying to figure out how does this thing happen with people that are so different from each other. And it is going to come front and center today. But then he told us the purpose. I'm writing that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And it's not because I'm so great and I've got this thing figured out. He says it's because it's the power of God for salvation to anyone, Jew and Gentile, who believes. Well, then he went after the Gentiles at the end of chapter 1. These were the people that did not grow up going in church. They were not given God's word. But he says, you're still without an excuse that I've written it in the skies, your own minds tell you this, and you exchange God's truth for idols, and he says you are without excuse. You have sought after dishonorable passions, and so part of God's judgment, he says, then you go and see how that turns out for you. Well, then in chapter 2, he turned his indictment to those that judge. And I want to clue this up just a little bit. We didn't have a lot of time, but I hope I didn't give the impression that all judging is bad because that's not the case. And I know that's thrown out there. We'll just let people do whatever they want. You can't judge anyone. Well, that's not how Scripture deals with it. There actually is a right way and a wrong way to judge. In fact, Galatians 6 tells us to call out sin. 1 Corinthians 6, that we're to God's people will judge the world. John 7, it says judge rightly. Not according to just what your eyes can see. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us that we're to judge those inside the church. So the right way, right form scripturally to judge is that we see something going on. And we care about the people enough that we want something better for them. We want to do everything we can to help. But the wrong way to judge is when we do this and it makes us feel a little bit better. We might even find some joy and happiness in it, being able to call out other people's faults. And we like to judge their value or worth. And that is absolutely against Scripture. In fact, almost every time you read about judging, you know what it says? First, to look at yourself. Before we ever go to someone else to talk about what might be going on. So Paul this morning, we're going to be in chapter 2, verse 17. Paul is going to turn his full attention to the Jews. They are going to be having the bullseye set before them. And he's talking to a particular group. He's talking to the religious, devout Jews. 
But here's what Paul knows. He knows that is who he was. He's speaking to his former self. But we have to understand that he loves these Jews. And he wants to call them to something better. Because he realizes what he is seeing is reminding him of who he was. Until Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus. And he wants these Jews to experience the same life transformation that he had. So he is going to say some very hard things this morning. Because he's going to turn his attention to the religious Jews. So I want to begin with the question then, is religion bad? I think a lot of times we might think that it depends on kind of how we look at it. Because when we kind of think about religious people, we tend to think of them in very favorable eyes. Take somebody like Gandhi. Somebody, everybody's heard that name. Somebody that truly changed his part of the world for the better. Or people often think of Mother Teresa and her heart for the poor and the outcast. Billy Graham is one that had the respect of people from all kinds of faith. Because typically when people believe in something bigger or greater than themselves, they tend to behave generally better. But there is really a dark side to religion. Religion has caused wars, hatred between groups of people, genocides, and even horrible disasters. So then is being a Christian the same thing as being religious? I think many times the way people think about the term Christian, the answer would be yes. But what we're going to see from Paul's letter, he's going to say the answer is absolutely not. Because the danger is I think we often view religion like a treadmill. And it happens this way, that we know there's all these things that we need to be doing, and we need to try really, really hard. So we wake up, and we're determined to accomplish all the Christian things that we're supposed to be doing. So we get up, and we start running. We go faster and faster, striving and working, just hoping that at the end of the day, I have done enough that I've pleased God. That I have worked and strived and given it all I had in hopes that God will look at me and smile upon me. But then the th sad thing is, at the end of the day, we get done and we're kind of left wondering, man, have I done enough? Did I run faster than I did the day before? Is that going to be enough? And it leaves us exhausted. But then we wake up going, okay, I guess I just have to kind of try harder tomorrow. And that religion is all pain and no gain. But genuine, true Christianity has nothing to do with that type of religion. In fact, for someone to become a Christian, they must first accept that no amount of effort will ever put enough distance between them and their sin. You'll never outrun it. And no amount of religious effort can ever bring you closer to God. You can't do it. It's only by grace that that can happen. Because God's grace provides salvation that you can never earn. It brings you God's favor that you'll never be able to deserve. And provides a kindness that you can absolutely never be able to repay. That is genuine Christianity. And that is why Paul is going to say some very harsh things to his fellow Jews. 
And so in Romans chapter 2, verse 17 is where we're going to start. You're going to see three dark sides of religion. You're going to see hypocrisy. I mean, you'll see arrogance, pride, and elitism. You're going to see it come front and center. Then it turns into hypocrisy. And we're talking about an unusual word, blasphemy. But then it will always leave you with a false sense of security. Of wondering, is it enough? So the first dark side is pride, arrogance, and elitism. And look at how it begins in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed by the law. And what Paul has just done is list five things that a religious Jew is relying upon and trusting in. The first one is a simple word, Jew. This was something they took great pride in. It means Yahweh be praised. And it was a badge of honor. If you would introduce yourself back then, you would say, Hello, I'm Mark Kirkendall, Jew. Because that was supposed to mean something to other people. Now, it should have been a reminder of the covenant relationship that they had with God. But it did just the opposite. It created a sense of pride and arrogance and elitism toward everybody else. And we can even see that same attitude today. The second thing he says, a Jew, the second thing you're trusting in is you rely on the law. That God chose the Hebrew people to be the custodians, to have possessed God's word and then share it with the world. But the religious Jews were putting the confidence in the fact that, well, we're the ones God chose. We're the special ones. What was supposed to be seen as an undeserved blessing just created pride and arrogance in the people. Well, then he says something interesting, and it seems like a good thing. It says, boast in God, because not all boasting is wrong. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 9 kind of gives us the perspective. God speaking, he says, don't do it this way. Don't let the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, or the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast, boast in this, that he understands and he knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So there is a thing that the Lord delights in, and it's in the right boasting. But the religious Jews are using it as a form of arrogance because they're bragging about their relationship with God. They're claiming a superior status. Because God chose us, we're his people, then they boasted about that. Well, the fourth thing they're trusting in, he says, because he knows his will, speaking of God, and approve what is excellent. So they received this special, unique blessing of knowing God's desires and the plans that he had for them. In fact, they were able to see the wrong choices that everyone else around them was making. And they were good at it. But they prided themselves on being able to make superior moral decisions. They felt that they were far beyond the ignorance of the Gentiles. In fact, they followed the detailed rules and regulations of the law that God had given them. 
but it gave them a sense that because of their efforts, God was pleased with them more than anyone else. And then they took all of the things they were doing and liked to compare it to everyone else to show how much better they were obeying the law. But what was supposed to be a good thing turned into pride and arrogance. So then he says the fifth thing, instructed by the law. So not only did they know the law, they felt that they had mastered it. They could quote it. They could cross-reference it. Man, they were the ones in any Bible study. They could win any trivia game, and they could go deep into the details. They knew it better than anyone else. But what we're soon going to see is that even though they felt that they'd mastered it, it was creating just the opposite in them. In fact, they missed it altogether. So Paul's point is, all it's doing, your religious activity is producing pride, arrogance, and elitism to those that you're supposed to be an ultimate example to. So the second dark side is hypocrisy and blasphemy. Look at verse 19. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. And that is who they were supposed to be. They were given God's law. They were His people. They were to guide the blind. They were to be a light to the darkness. Teach those who did not know and teach the younger generation to pass it on. That was what God had designed. Because the knowledge they had and the truth that had been revealed to them. But this is not what resulted. Because look at verse 21. This is where you see hypocrisy. He's going to ask a rhetorical question. But the answer is obviously yes. He says, you then that teach others, do you not teach yourself? Meaning that God's law was supposed to be used, first of all, to teach and to guide them. Instead, they like to use it as a tool for teaching and judging everyone else. So then notice the results. When you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say the one that uh, must not commit adultery, but you commit adultery. Do you hate or abhor idols? Do you rob temples? So what was happening was they were doing just the opposite of what they were teaching. You see, one of the greatest blessings of being able to teach and to preach God's Word, whether it's with our elementary, our preschool, our youth, or adults, one of the greatest blessings is that you get to come front and center with God's Word on a daily basis. But the danger is that we only go to leading a devotional, a Bible study, or teaching God's Word, is we only look at it in a way, well, what does this mean for everyone else? Before we ever stop to think about, well, what does this first of all need to say to me? Well, I think we see what happens is we can look at this and think of all the advantages that we have with God's Word even today. So many copies that we have, money to afford them. You get apps on your phone. You can get daily emails sent to your inbox to bring up Scripture written from all over the world from some great writers Opening that up each and every day. But does our mind quickly go to the four people that we need to forward this to because they need to hear this? Or do we stop and go, well, what is God going to say to me in this first? 
So this is a dark side of religion. It's, it creates hypocrisy. That where we can end up doing just the exact opposite of what we're calling other people to. So I hope you have done this because I need you to share some shame this morning again. If you're a parent, you've experienced this, hopefully, pray to God this has happened, not just me, where you hear your wife getting on to one of your children for something they said, and she asks the question, where'd you hear that? And they say, well, Dad, and see, it happens. I mean, we have this standard that we want everybody to live by, but then we often fall short in that. And Paul is saying you're living a life of a hypocrite. But it gets even worse than that. Paul is going to talk about something that's worse. Look at verse 23. It says, you who boast in the law, and that's not a good boasting, it's a, an arrogance, a pride, and even bragging that we have the law. They got hand-delivered to our people by Moses. But look at what they do with it. They dishonor God by breaking the law. So instead of following it, cherishing it, obeying it, they're breaking it. And it sounds a lot like hypocrisy, but it actually gets worse. But Paul says, not only is it hypocrisy, and it's that word dishonors. That it dishonors God. Well, then Paul is going to do what any good Jew would do. He's going to use a cross-reference and go back to the Old Testament and recall a passage, and it's important. He says in verse 24, You're dishonoring God by what you're doing, disobeying. For as it is written, every ear would have perked up. A religious Jew probably, they're thinking, who can get there the quickest? Oh, I know where he's going. He says, The name of God is blasphemed, among the Gentiles, because of you. And I think blasphemy is one of these words. It sounds really bad. We know it should, it's not a good thing, but we often don't really understand what it is. It's a word that we don't commonly use kind of in everyday life nowadays. Well, blasphemy is this word that means to revile or slander or use the word defame something. It means also this, though. It means to take something and to deny what is true about it. But it also means to accuse it of something that is not true. If you've ever seen that in someone's life where someone's name, someone is slandered, someone's name is defamed, it's something that they didn't do, they're accused of. I mean, the bad thing is that you can say you're sorry, but the damage is already done to that person's name and reputation. So here is how serious this word blasphemy is. In Leviticus chapter 24, God actually tells Moses, some blaspheming has been going on about his name, whether it's attributing something to God's name that isn't true, or taking something that is true about his name and denying it. He tells Moses to bring those people out and to stone them where they stand. In Deuteronomy 18, it says, If a prophet speaks for me that I haven't told to speak, you kill them on the spot. Mark chapter 3, it's talked about as an eternal sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Second Peter chapter 2, a blaspheming prophet, it says, will be destroyed in the destruction. 
And so a religious Jew, this is what they were afraid of the most. They wanted to do nothing to uh, revile or slander or to defame God's name. It was so sacred, they would not even speak it to someone else. Well, there are two things that are happening in verse 24. First, Paul says, and notice how it reads, the Gentiles are the one dishonoring or blaspheming God. But notice who is responsible for that. He says it's because of you. He's saying because of your arrogance and your pride and your hypocrisy, of you stating one thing to being true and then doing the opposite, you are causing the Gentiles to view me in the wrong way. They're watching your lives and they're seeing how you treat other people and how you live and the standard you're holding them to and you're giving them a picture of who I am and it's not correct. That you are causing the Gentiles to blaspheme my name of say something that is not true about me and it's because of the way you are acting and thinking and living. I think we can even see this today. The people can look upon God's people and we wonder what is that saying to those that don't know Him. And if you know anyone or you've worked in the waitressing or waitress world, do you know what the word that everyone I've talked to, the worst shift that no one really wants? You know when it is? Sundays between about noon and three. Because I'll tell you, it's when all the people get out of church. They come and they act entitled, they're in a rush, they're impatient, and they don't tip. You think about what in the world is that saying to people that know, oh, this is the ones that are going to church each and every week, and they're acting even worse than the people that I had last night. And that's what Paul is saying. His point is they are causing other people to blaspheme God because of the picture that they are painting of God to them. But I believe Paul is also making another point because of this reference. So not only... Because of your pride and your arrogance and your elitism and your hypocrisy, I think he is saying you are becoming like an enemy of mine. In fact, the worst thing, that they did not want to blaspheme or defame God's name in any way. And the last thing they wanted to be was an enemy. Because they were privileged. They worked hard to gain God's favor. They were superior morally. I mean, these are the people you would look at and think, well, they have to be a believer by the way they're acting. They thought about God's protection, how he was their friend. And I think this was Paul's greatest fear. He was willing to do anything he could to protect God's name and to stand up against God's enemies, even putting people to death before he had his eyes opened. So if you have a cross-reference... This is important. He's referencing Isaiah 52.5. And he's going back to a unique situation. It's when the children of Israel were held captive and captured by the Assyrians, or in this time, Babylon. And they are the ones that are masters that are in charge of now the Israelite people. So the Assyrians are doing all of this, and they are despising God's name and blaspheming His name because Listen to how it reads in verse 5. Now, therefore, what have I here? God is looking at this, and he's asking the question, declares the Lord, seeing that my people, are they taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord. And continually, all day, my name is despised. 
But not by the Israelites, not by the Hebrews. It's by the Assyrians. And what they're doing is they're saying, well, you're praying to this God. You're wanting to make sacrifice to this God. You're doing all of these things. How powerful can this God really be if we're your master? And they're blaspheming God's name day in and day out. And because of that reference directly to the Assyrians, I think he is saying to them, you are no better than the Gentiles that you're despising. You're just like the Assyrians. He's accusing them of what they feared the most. So not only does religion promote this pride and arrogance and elitism, it causes hypocrisy and blasphemy. It also creates a false sense of security. In verses 25 through 29, there were all of these rituals and traditions and customs that they would be going through. But the ultimate one was the sign of circumcision. When a young boy turned age eight, he was circumcised as a mark that he was set aside by God as a son of the covenant. It was to be a visible reminder that God had claimed this boy as his own. But they put in a lot of pride in this. Look at verse 25. He says, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision actually is useless. It becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be granted as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you that have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or physical. But a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcised is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter or the law. His praise is not from man, but from God. So the religious leaders, they actually believed and taught this, that if you were circumcised, you were exempt from God's judgment. What's happening is they're trusting in the wrong things. They're trusting in a symbol of what the law was supposed to be. In these customs and traditions and rituals, Paul says they're meaningless. They're only to be symbols of what you are called to. In fact, circumcision was to be an outward symbol of what should be true on the inside. That only the work of the Spirit can do it. You cannot make yourself good enough on the outside for that to make any difference in who you really are. But they are trusting in the symbol as security, but the symbol could never save them. And this is a false sense of religion that creates a false sense of security. Because think of a symbol we have today. Think of a wedding ring. A wedding ring is an outward symbol. Putting on this wedding ring or taking it off, it doesn't change my marital status. It's only to be a symbol of a commitment and vows that someone makes to their spouse in front of God, in front of others. So Paul's argument is, which is better? An unfaithful spouse that proudly wears a wedding band or one that guards a shared intimacy with someone else, but doesn't wear a ring. 
because <coughs> you see, the ring is to be an outward symbol of what's true in a person's heart. And it's foolish to think that just because I wear a ring, that that is the most important thing, element in marital union, and it will ever keep me faithful. That there's never been a wedding ring <coughs> that is only meant to be a symbol that's ever kept anyone faithful. And so that's what religion is. Religion is trusting in human efforts and human traditions and external things and symbols to make us right with God or to gain His favor. <clears throat> so think about the external things that we have. People might say, well, I know I'm right with God. I know I have His peace. I know I have His favor because I walked an aisle. Or I prayed some prayer one day. Or I went to this thing. Or I was baptized. Or I joined a church. Or I'm serving. How can I not be? Man, I've done so many good things. I try to do good for other people and put other people's needs before my own. And, and it definitely outweighs the bad thing is that, especially when I was 16 or in college. Man, I've really tried to fly straight and do the right thing. But these external things can never truly change someone's heart unless the Holy Spirit does a supernatural work. So I think what Paul is really saying is that if we're not careful, it is possible to trust in Christianity rather than to trust in Christ. And what matters is not bearing some sign, whether it's circumcision or baptism or church membership, but having the reality of a changed heart which the sign points to. That real Christianity is not about having confidence in external things. That real Christianity is someone who is a Christian on the inside. It is something that no one other than the Holy Spirit can create. And so here's the beauty of Scripture. That Paul is writing to religious Jews in the first century. But because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, these verses are also written to have meaning for you and me today. And I think Paul understands this. And Paul's purpose is not to bash his fellow Jews. He sees himself in them. He understands what they're going through. And he knows that they're trying with all that they can, but nothing will transform them other than the work of the Holy Spirit. Because Paul tried it. He gave it his all. In fact, he would probably say, I was a better Jew than all of you. But here's what Paul came to realize. Behaving correctly on the outside will do nothing to cleanse you on the inside. And there is no external thing that can truly make a person worthy of salvation. But no one probably wants to get to the end of this age, on the last day, standing before God and go, man, I had His truth. I had it before me. I behaved rightly. I was involved in a church and I did all the things that people were telling me to do. But to find out that you are dead spiritually. So where do you sit today? What are you trusting in to make you right with God or to gain His favor? Are you sitting there thinking about all the things that have gone on, even this last week, and wondering, what I do to deserve this? I thought I tried really hard. I thought I ran pretty well this week. 
Are you still getting on the treadmill trying to earn your way to Him only to realize that your best effort on your best day will never be enough? Are you trusting in the acts of Christianity rather than Christ? I think Paul would tell us today, then get off the treadmill. Stop running and realize there's one that has already earned for you what you never can. In fact, if you have ever trusted in Christ, God cannot love you and accept you any more than He does right now, no matter what kind of week you had. Because He cannot love and accept Jesus any more than He does. So Jesus not only did something to remove our sins, but he also did something to earn for us God's complete approval and acceptance. I think Paul is saying stop trying to earn it and rest in it and let that transform your heart. But we can only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit that we cry out for God to do something. So if you're tired of running on that, trying to earn God's favor, trying to keep in His good graces, I would say get off and rest in the completed work of Christ. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.